and welcome back to Basic Bible 101. As you recall, last week we left off in the middle of Genesis 18, and that's where we're going to pick up today. But before we do, let's take a few minutes and review what we have studied so far. If this is the first episode of Basic Bible 101 that you've had a chance to listen to, I would like to encourage you to go back and listen to them in order, beginning with the introduction uh, podcast and continuing on from there. I think you'll have a much better understanding of what we're studying. Those of you that have been following along with the podcast, today we will continue in our study of Abraham. And last week, if you'll remember, we were introduced to Abraham as he and his wife and his nephew Lot moved down into the land of Canaan, which we know as modern day Israel. And if you'll recall, they prospered greatly, so much so that his nephew Lot decided to go ahead and split from Abraham. It was a mutual agreement that they should find more land for their livestock and for their um, the, the number of people that were in their households. Many of the, the those were servants and um, shepherds that helped tend to the livestock and what have you. So Abraham had said, you pick where you want to go. And Lot had said, I want to go down into the valley where it there's lush uh, water supply. And uh, that looks like a good place for me. So Abraham then, by default, ended up in the hill country, which was fine. There was a lot of good pasture land there too. In this part of the country, Abraham is given a vision by the Lord that says all of this land will be yours. And so we had talked a little bit about God's promise to him, not only of owning all the land he could see from the top of this hills, these hills, uh, to having as many children, so many that you wouldn't be able to count them, as many as the... Uh, sand on the seashore. And so Abraham was very hopeful, expecting to have lots of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And yet, as of yet, Sarai, his wife, who had been renamed Sarah, had not had any children. Sarah had come up with the great idea of giving her handmaiden to Abram. Her handmaiden, Hagar, did have a son with Abram, and his name was Ishmael. So Ishmael is actually the firstborn of Abraham, but he is not the child of promise. He's not the one that God promised him would be delivered through Sarah. So Abraham continues to wait for this child of promise. And in the meantime, they three visitors come along. And we that's where we left off last week, where the three visitors had come to visit, were passing through, and it actually stopped uh, right near where Abraham lived. And Abraham said, hey, come over for dinner. This is in chapter 18. And while they're there, they confirm that Abraham will have a child, a son, by this time next year. And of course, they laugh. And that's why God tells Abraham, you're to name your son Isaac, which means laughter. And as they get up to go, one of the gentlemen starts speaking to Abraham. And he says, the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they are, have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. All right, so what is happening here is that they have said, We're going down to see what the problem is with these two terrible cities where there is such debauchery and um, crime against other people. There was rape and murder and all kinds of... Um, just total lack of sensitivity 
for anyone else. And part of the problem is if you're a traveler going through there, it's a very dangerous place, which we see very soon. So the men turn away and they head towards Sodom. As they're going, Abraham is a bit concerned. And he asks, in, like in verse 23 of chapter 18, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from me to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will, you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? So Abraham is appealing to God, saying, There may be some good people. Now, of course, we're talking about the Lord God who knows everything, and he knows that there are no good people, except possibly for Lot, and I'm not even sure he was all that good, which we will see later on in the book of Genesis. But Abraham kind of wants to challenge God to maybe have mercy on these people for the sake of the righteous that may be there. And the Lord kind of agrees with Abraham and he says okay okay if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom I will spare the whole place for their sake with the hope actually that those righteous will have a good influence on the rest of the people there but of course as we know God who sees and knows everything isn't a bit worried about that being the case because he already knows who the righteous and who the wicked are so Abraham again speaks up and he says if I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? You can see that Abraham is a very good negotiator. Now he is telling the Lord, what if just five people? What if that's the difference between whether the city gets totally destroyed? And of course the Lord says, okay, if there's forty-five, I will not destroy it. And once again, Abraham speaks up and he says, well, what if there are only 40 are found there? For the sake of 40, I will not do it, the Lord says. So Abraham continues this. He says, well, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found? And God tells him, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Finally, Abraham says, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found? And again, the Lord says, okay, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Abraham gives it one more shot. He says, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found? And the Lord says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Then the Lord, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. As we had said last week, one of the visitors is... A messenger of God we don't know if he is an, a form of an angel and he's speaking for the Lord or if it some people have said that it may have been Christ incarnate earlier than at the time that we see him in the New Testament and some people have just said the Lord spoke through whoever this gentleman was we don't know for sure but we do know that the Lord is directing Abraham and warning him of what's about to happen I think that sometimes God warns us of things that could happen too. And some of us just decide to worry then. We know that our 16-year-old is in the car and it's past 10 o'clock when they should have been home. And we worry. We wonder what has happened, what could happen. What Sometimes when we are in situations like that, what the Lord is asking us to do is pray and appeal. And I think we see that here. 
Abraham is appealing to God. God, intervene. Protect my loved one. Don't destroy these people. It's very similar to what we'll see in the book of Exodus when we talk about Moses, when he prays for the people and he says, God, don't destroy them. And I think that the Lord puts in us a a genuine concern for the rest of mankind. And we don't want to see them abolished or destroyed or, or injured, unless, of course, they've done us major wrong. But that's why it's so heartbreaking for us when we see images of tsunamis and earthquakes and extreme poverty, because they could be us, and we know that. We relate to other humans. And so Abraham, particularly in this case, was concerned about his nephew, knowing that Lot was down there in the city and knowing that he would be destroyed if the Lord decided that the place was too wicked and that was it. In chapter 19, we see that two of the angels have gone on down into the valley and have arrived at the first town. And right outside the gate is Lot. And you can tell that he must be very concerned about them because he says, Please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. Now I suspect that Lot had found a way to prevent visitors from from getting into trouble or getting hurt. Now the angels say to him, No, we will spend the night in the square. And it says, but Lot, but he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them and bake, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Now, what was the significance of making bread without yeast? Primarily, they just didn't have time for it to rise. So he hurriedly makes them a meal. It's almost as though he wants them to quickly leave. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Okay, well, the crowds don't like this. They say, get out of our way. And they say, the fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to judge the, play the judge. We'll treat you worse than they. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door, but the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were outside the door, young and old with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So God has had enough of this place, and you can see why. The the whole town comes out and just uh, basically runs wild in the night, and no one is safe. So we see that Lot believes the angels, and he does go and speak to his sons-in-law, prospective sons-in-law, and they don't believe him. They are not going to leave the city. So Lot returns to his wife and his two daughters and says, We must go. The Lord is going to destroy this place. And they head off before the entire city is destroyed. And so that's what Lot does. He grabs his wife and his two daughters, and they head out of town. And as they're fleeing, the angel says, No, don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. 
flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me, depart, sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to to run to, and it's small. Let me flee to it. It's, it is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. So you can see that Lot, even yet, doesn't want to leave this area. You know, sometimes it's hard to admit that our life has gotten so out of whack and we we just can't fathom changing so completely and in this case in his case leaving everything he knew and so he thought if i go to a a town that's nearby at least it will be familiar but the problem is even the towns nearby were bound to have been tainted with what was going on in sodom and gomorrah but the angel says very well i will grant this request too i will not overthrow the town you speak of but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it so of course that's what happens Lot um, runs to this town but in verse 26 it says but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt and that's one of those these little um, caveats that people will talk about from time to time about Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt uh, in the next morning, Abraham got up and, and re looked down at the valley, and he saw that there was smoke rising and everything. Um, it definitely appeared that the cities had been completely destroyed. When we uh, talk about hail, fire, brimstone, that is the indication they give here, and we don't know if it's some kind of a volcano, some kind of a meteor shower, or if the Lord really did just decide to rain down from heaven uh, hot sulfur but whatever it was it totally destroyed these cities so Lot starts over in a new place and he actually ends up in a cave just to show you how sad it had gotten for Lot uh, over the course of time his daughters figured that they're never gonna find a man and so they get their dad drunk and they sleep with their father and they end up having two children two boys one is named Moab and one is named Ben Ammi, which he ends up being the the head of the Ammonite Ammonite nations, yeah, and then the other one ends up being the head of the Moabite nations. Both of these uh, nations end up becoming uh, major uh, foes of the Israel nation. So we can see that even back here, their disobedience led to a strife that then continued on from there. So it's it's really a sad story, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and what it had done to Lot and his family. Okay, there's one other little uh, chapter in here before we get to Isaac. And that uh, chapter 20, we see a little repeat of what happened when Abraham originally went down to Egypt and had his wife pretend to be his sister. It appears that they that um, Abraham has moved on and he's gone into a new region. And when he's there, there's a man named Abimelech who takes a fancy to his wife. And because Abraham doesn't know what these people are like, he once again tells Sarah, just tell him you're my sister. Now you would think he would learn because this got him in trouble before. But the Lord really did protect him. In fact, he caused Abimelech to have a dream in the night that said, you know, why have you taken this man's wife? And early in the morning, Abimelech gets up and he tells uh, Abraham, just go, you know, uh, why would you do this to us? And actually a curse falls on his household so that they, um, 
there's a disease that breaks out. And so, um, Abimelech is thinking, if I can just get rid of him, maybe the Lord won't curse us and, and he'll heal us. So, but in the process, he gives more sheep and cattle and slaves to Abraham. You know, it seems like no matter what Abraham does, even as wrong as it is, he ends up the Lord with the Lord just blessing him. But you know, the Lord promised to bless him. So that shouldn't be too surprising. Chapter 21, we finally see that the Lord is gracious to Sarah and allows her to become pregnant. And she has a son whose name is Isaac. Remember, they called him Isaac because they laughed when they heard they were going to have a child in their old age. Uh, what happens is that, of course, as Isaac's growing up, he fights with his older brother, Ishmael, and Sarah doesn't like this, and so she sends Hagar away and just says, uh, take your son and go. And unfortunately, in those days, women had nothing if they left, whoever was caring for them. They just took the whatever was on their back and maybe a little bit of food and water. Well, when the water ran out, uh, Hagar is is crying and and she sets the boy over, you know, by a bush, and walks away because she doesn't want to see him die. She knows that there's no more water, but God hears her and provides for her. Uh, right there, there's a well that springs up, and she sees it and she's just. Uh, so delighted so she's able to give her son a drink of water and the Lord cared for him. Uh, some of you know that uh, Ishmael becomes the um, figurehead for the Islamic faith and they refer back to Ishmael frequently. Okay so at this point now we finally have Isaac the, the son of promise and uh, we're going to skip over some of the stuff in between there because there's just some, some agreements that take place between Abraham and some of the neighboring people. And then in verse or chapter 22 of Genesis, the Lord speaks to Abraham and he says, uh, Abraham, Abraham says, yes, Lord. And God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I will tell you about. All right. He's waited all this time for a son, and God tells him to sacrifice this son. And you can imagine that it was a shock uh, to Abraham, and he no doubt wrestled with this. Um, I, I would have my own problems really thinking that the Lord could uh, say such a thing. But the Lord is testing his faith, as, as God will do with us. And in this case, Abraham is faithful. He, in the morning saddles up the donkey, takes his son, uh, they, they put some wood on the, uh, take some wood with them, and they go to, uh, up to this mountain. And on the way, his son says, well, Dad, we have everything else, but what are, where's the sacrifice? You know, usually they bring a, a lamb with them. But Abraham says the Lord will provide that. And as they approach, uh, they, they reach the place where God had told him to stop, and Abraham builds an altar there and arranges the wood on top of it, and then he ties up his son and puts him up on the altar and is preparing to kill him when the, an angel of the Lord stops him and says, Abraham, Abraham, uh, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So this is an amazing moment for 
Abraham to be able to show God how much he loved him and to say whatever you want. And it, later on we realized that Abraham believed that if God wanted to, he could raise Isaac up from the dead or he could provide him another son. But he so totally trusted God. And so the awesome thing about it is that um, God spares his son and blesses uh, Isaac with children and Isaac's sons and on. And uh, this son does become the, the son of promise, which from here on out, we see God blessing this line. Um, let's turn on a little bit. In fact, take a minute to look at your um, homework. If you... Uh, had a chance to answer some of the questions. It says, do you sense any hesitation in Abraham to follow God's commands? And really there isn't. It looks as though, you know, whatever Abraham wrestled with privately, he followed God's command because it's the very next morning when he takes off. After God finally gave Abraham the promised heir, why do you think he put Abraham to this test? And it seems fairly um, clear that God was testing Abraham's faith. You know, it surprises me because Abraham has been so faithful. But since he tends to lapse into these, uh, you know, telling Sarah to say he's his sister, perhaps God was saying, now let's just make sure that you are going to stay true to me because you tend to be going off here on these little tangents that are, are not uh, where you should be. And I'm not pleased with that. And But in the meantime, I want to see, will you be faithful? And so Abraham lives up to this challenge. They call the place uh, the Lord will provide because um, while they're up there, after the, the angel says, no, don't sacrifice Isaac, um, they look and they see over in the bushes that a ram has been caught. Its horns have been caught. And so they go over and they take this ram. And that is what they use to sacrifice to the Lord. So it becomes a worshipful experience. You know, in many ways, parents uh, do well to give their children to the Lord. To um, take a time to dedicate your children to the Lord. Because it is your way of saying, God, these aren't my children, they're your children, and it's up to you to raise them in the way they should go and to care for them. As parents, there's only so much we can do. We cannot keep our kids safe. That job is the Lord's, and he takes it very seriously. All right, uh, in the course of time, Isaac grows up, and it's time for him to marry. And Abraham is concerned. He wants him to marry within his family line. And so he instructs a servant of his to go back to the home where, to the city where they be, it all began, back to Haran, and see if they could find, uh, see if the servant could find a woman for Isaac to marry. And what the servant does is he stands outside the city where he knows that Abraham's family has come from, and he asks God, if you'll just help me find this, the one that I'm supposed to take back to my master. This is found in chapter 24, uh, down in verse 12, where uh, the servant is praying. And he says, Give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, Please let down your jar and that I may have a drink. And she says, Drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. 
And so sure enough, that's what happens. A young gal named Rebecca comes along and he asks for a drink and she says, yes, then I'll water your camels too. And he is so happy because then he finds out that she is a distant relative of Abraham's and uh, brings and, and showers her with uh, gold rings and jewelry and says, please come back with me to marry um, Isaac, you know, my master's son. And Rebecca consults with her parents and they have this kind of, boy, you know, you're going to be leaving us. And yet they are sure are overwhelmed by all the riches that they are, that are bestowed upon them. And so um, the girl must have trusted the Lord too, because she agrees to go. And when Isaac meets her, he is just overwhelmed with her beauty and he loves her. So it's a wonderful love story. And, uh, Unfortunately, Sarah has died before this takes place, so she doesn't get to meet Rebecca, but Rebecca ends up being a wonderful wife. Um, she has a set of twins, and we will learn about those twins next week, uh, Jacob and Esau. But for this week, we have wrapped up the story of Abraham for the most part. In chapter 25, Abraham does pass away. And so then we move on to the story of Jacob and Esau, which will be Lesson 7. Those of you that are doing the homework, you can find uh, any other uh, answers to the homework questions on the web, www.basicbible101.com. Those of you who are still in need of a student workbook, you can find that also at that site where you can order your student workbook. Okay, so for next week... Those of you who are reading through the Old Testament, you need to read uh, Genesis 25 through 36. And we will talk a little bit next week about uh, sibling rivalry. We find that Jacob and Esau, twins, do not get along very well. That uh, as wonderful as Isaac and, and Rebecca were, they aren't particularly good parents. And we will find out why that is the case. In your student workbook, there's a section on how to determine God's will because in today's lesson, we saw that the servant had prayed to God and basically said, God, if this happens, then this must be what you want. And sometimes that's what we do. We say, Lord, here's the circumstances. And if this is the direction I should go, then then please let these things fall in line. Uh, but there are many ways to try and determine what is it that God want, is trying to tell me to do. And so if in your student workbook you will be able to see at the end of Lesson 6 under the Lesson Notes some ways that you can determine God's will and some scriptures that will help you in uh, sorting that out. We will talk about this again many lessons from now when we talk about Gideon. I hope that you have learned from today's lesson that Abraham trusted God and was faithful to God even when he didn't understand why God would, could possibly want him to go and sacrifice his son. I've hope, I hope you've also seen how much God loves us through his great love for Abraham and Isaac, uh, providing for them uh, a substitute sacrifice. In their case, it was a ram, but in our case, it is Jesus Christ. We know that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the place that we would have to pay for our sins because remember blood has to be shed when there is a wrong that is done just as it had to be done all the way at the beginning we talked about Adam and Eve alright well thank you so much for tuning in today for those of you that are reading through the Bible and keeping up with your homework I'm 
so happy that you are and want to encourage you to do so. If you have questions, of course, remember to email me at margie at basicbible101.com. Thank you and have a great day.